Hello and welcome to the Modern Romantic Podcast, where we celebrate romanticism through passionate people doing incredible things. Hi, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Hi, I'm Trey. Uh, Emily will be with us next podcast. Uh, she's off being a phenomenal educator, uh, and I'm really jealous because those people are going to get a treat of an education. Um, our guest tonight is an educator in his own right. He's an accomplished graphic artist and designer, photographer, artist, and illustrator. His art creates connections and conversation and gives insight to his personal connections to the Catawba Nation. I am so honored and so delighted to be able to call this man a friend. Please help me welcome to the podcast, Alex Osborne. Yeah! Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Well, welcome. Thank you. I you know I've always, I've always wanted to wanted to introduce myself like Trixie and Katya. Like, hi, I'm. Would you like a box of crackers, Alex Osborne? <laughs> <laughs> that's um, between her and there's somebody that's over in Australia that kind of does the same <laughs> thing. Uh, yep. I don't remember her name, but it's just that random turn at left field and I doing that it. introduction. <laughs> uh, do you want to take a stab at it? And introduce yourself that way. Uh, let me let me think. <laughs> <laughs> I I did good to do the box of crackers, and now I have to think of a different one. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know how they do it. Um, uh, yeah, I think I'm out. I think my brain. <laughs> Hi, I'm. Would you like a box of crackers? <laughs> Alex Osborne. Oh, well, Tanaka, Alex. Tanake. <laughs> <laughs> um, and hi, Sandra. Uh, well, Alex, one thing, you and I have talked endlessly, um, not on the podcast about arts and those sorts of things. And I have gotten to know you so well as not only a friend, but also as an artist and been able to see some of your work. And I'm, I'm honestly really thrilled that we're able to um, promote you on this podcast here um, one thing that I would like our audience to know, first off and foremost, how did you get started getting even into art itself? That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, I think that there's a super cliche answer of like, I've been drawing as far as I can remember. And I think that that's a little bit true. But one thing that I would give a little bit more credit to is like the the finding yourself portion of that um because like as a kid you know drawing a you know an ocean scene with like fish and little scoopy water waves you know that's like that, i think that's something that a lot of us can identify with but then in terms of starting to claim art as like part of your identity and creating art as part of your identity that takes a little bit more work um, and I think that that has been, um, it actually, I've been on like this, these like stepping stones because I'm involved in a couple of different things. And the biggest through line that I think that I can think of is, um, photography actually. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, I loved cameras and, um, and film and, you know, like I had a little, I don't know if you remember these, but I had a little like Polaroid camera that instead of doing like the, the square the or rectangular sheets that we're used to, yeah. it like you pulled it out and it was a sticker. 
Yeah, so yeah. I had one of those and like I was absolutely obsessed with it because it would develop in like five minutes. And that got me thinking about like I always wanted to play with my parents' cameras and um I eventually got my own camera and I had like disposable cameras and you know, all that stuff. And it's only been like over the past couple of years that I realized like that was a real interest of mine as a kid. Like it was just kind of normal to me, you know, like I just liked, I just liked cameras. And then um, as I got older, fast forward to like 18, 19, you know, whatever, I got my first like, not quite professional but like serious camera you know Hmm. um and that was when i started to notice more of the other elements of what i do so um i really like to edit my photos and that kind of led into some more design aspects um i like to draw things and i've always kind of liked to draw things ever since i was in middle school but um over the past five, seven, 10 years or so, I've kind of started to notice more how those things fit together. And I, I, I think that's a really long way of answering your question in that, like, it's been a, it's been a lifetime's experience to figure that out. Does that make sense? I hope. Yeah. No, uh, that we like to ask that question because it's sometimes taken people quite a while and sometimes their whole life to get where they are. Uh, we mm-hmm. had a guest um, a couple of episodes back that on, that really didn't start getting truly into deep dive photography until mm-hmm. his forties, early fifties. So oh, yeah. the sure. the the journey into art is never always linear. It's like you said, it's a journey. Yep, it, it's it's a it's a meander or a hike. <laughs> you you, know, you kind of go this way and that, and figure it out as you go. Um, I'm sorry to say, can you remind me of your original question, though? (laughs) No, how did you get into art? You answered it. Okay, good. Yeah, Um, (laughs) I think I would just tack on, though, that, like, in the past mm, five or six years, I've really had a couple of opportunities that have allowed me to explore and dedicate time to exploring specifically this part of myself. And um, that has really allowed me to figure out those connections a little bit stronger and develop that a little bit more. Um, And so I think like doing that as my day job and within my community and for different projects has really allowed me to get into it that much further. And that's one thing that I've been really excited to see you do is be able to do that as your passion. I see lots of posts on Facebook about uh, where you're taking different pictures, either for um, Alex or for yourself, or you post a new um, a new edited image up there. Mm-hmm. It is incredible, and I love the work that you do. Thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. I, um, I I'm really lucky because, like you know, over the past five, six, seven years, I've been able to do it as part of my job. And I think a lot of us, you know, on the outside really underestimate the amount of time that are, you know, we like not maybe I don't I mean that respectfully, but like we don't think about how much time goes into our like day jobs. Right. And Mm -hmm. so when that is also a part of something that I love to do, then I have really um, I've, I've really been lucky to, to dedicate so much time to, to everything. 
that's one of the things that while I enjoy like my corporate job, it's, I would love to be back on the stage. I'd love to be back performing or like here sewing. Um, and please do, please ignore the stuff behind me. Um, <laughs> but it's so nice to be able to, to combine what you love and get paid for it. Yep. Um, the one thing that I've noticed is that you, while you've talked about kind of connecting the threads of your life together and finding how these different pieces of art intermingle with each other, that's the one thing that I've always admired is that you do so many kinds of art. Um, is there a particular medium that you're either wanting to divulge more into, or is there a medium that you haven't yet explored that you'd like to? Ooh, oh, you're coming <laughs> with the heavy hitters right now. Um, so I, for anybody that hasn't seen my work, um, I consider myself a very experimental artist. Um, I, primarily do digital work now, but, um, you know, <laughs> an arts, art teacher that I had in high school, um, I don't know if he was throwing shade or if he was actually giving me a compliment, maybe a little bit of both, but there was a piece that wasn't turning out how I wanted. And so I literally took like a Sharpie and India ink and like covered half of it up. And he was like, he was like, you're very good at making a mistake look like it was intentional. <laughs> and I was like, thank you question mark i don't i don't know but <laughs> thanks and um that was like that was a bit of a realization too because <laughs> like i just kind of like to see how things go um so coming back around to mediums i the i think to the first part i think i'd really like to you know like if I had more time to dedicate to it, maybe ex explore a little bit more of like um, tactile artwork. So like, um, you know, more textures and like paintings and things like that. Like, I think that builder gels are really fascinating or, or like builder mediums where you can like mix the, this like medium with acrylic and like build it up on the canvas. Um, I'd, okay. I'd really like to kind of see what I could do with something like that. But that said, I come from a culture where like sculpture is like our traditional art and I've never been a sculptor, <laughs> you know? And um, so I don't know, like, I don't know. I don't really trust myself with 3d work. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I, I have such a hard time visualizing it, um, which is really ironic given that I like draw and everything, but um, I just, I have a really hard time visualizing things in like clay or in like, you know, some sort of like physical medium. And so like, I would like to see what I could do more with that, but I also, I don't know. I need to think on that some more. <laughs> oh, that's totally fair. Uh, I am such a klutz. I would either find my finger in like very deep into the clay or yep. when it gets killed and, or I kind of put it into the kiln, I walk away from it. And I'm like, why am I stuck? <laughs> oh no, no. no. Oh, mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no i get that um the uh where was it i had a thought and then it just wound up leaving me um but you kind of talked about like culture of sculpture or those sorts of things uh, on the flip side of that what is a medium that you if you were asked to do it you're like yes give me give me more give me give me more of that um 
I one of my favorites to work in, and I don't do it as much anymore, is uh, like pen and ink. Mm-hmm. Um, I love playing with papers and surfaces and inks. I just think that like the way that they interact with each other is really, really amazing. And I still love to do it from time to time, but having invested so much in technology, like, you know, iPads and different like digital forms of artwork that can really emulate or mimic the same effects. I have a hard time justifying spending that much more money on like inks and papers and all of those things when I can essentially create the same stuff. Now there's something to be said about tactility of, you know, I, I still love to buy those things and make things with them, but I just don't quite as much just because of what's at our, you know, at our, uh, at, at our disposal digitally, you know, for sure. Um, I really love the physical. I've grown to love digital art a lot more because you're able to do so much with it. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you can't also do some similar things with physical art, but there are limitations. And so yep. like with any medium, you get positives, you get negatives, but you also have to understand um, the complexities behind them when you go Absolutely. and look at something. Um, Cause, uh, who is one of our regular subscribers in the chat, wants to know if that is a kraken behind you. Um, I think so. I imagine so. Um, I bought this off of Society Six, and I don't remember the artist. I'm sorry, but I have always loved uh, like octopi and tentacles, and I loved the colors, especially with like my room being blue, and then. Uh, having like the oranges and reds, I, I just think that's a really neat color combination. So it's been up there for literally probably a decade and a half. <laughs> um, and thank you. <laughs> uh, so kind of getting into your artistic process. Um, one thing that I've always been really curious about is uh, when it comes to more your digital art, what does that artistic process look like um, to go from idea to fully conceived uh, product? Um, so I think I'll start off with, I am not a person that draws every day. I mean, I technically do because of my day job, but like in terms of creating pieces or working on paintings, I really work on them when I'm feeling inspired <laughs> and um i i don't i don't really i still don't really know what to make of that because i've had a i had a couple orchestra teachers growing up that like swore by practicing every day and i think that that's really really good but i think like it it's just it looks different for everyone right mm-hmm. so a lot of times i have to i personally have to have a purpose um, that that conceptual needs to either be an idea that I'm particularly attached to mm-hmm. or a project that I've either been commissioned for or asked to do in some sort of significant capacity. Um, and then I, I then I get very uh, traditional with it, I guess, even though it's digital and I start sketching. Um, I've always started off of sketches and um with digital work, you can your composition can kind of change as you go, which is really helpful, especially, you know, it's incredibly forgiving <laughs> rather than like, you know, acrylic drying or, you know, mixing or anything like that. So that's uh, 
that's helpful. <laughs> um, and then really the drawing or painting or graphic um, evolves, you know, like, and that's like one of my favorite things to see because like I can have an idea of how to plan it out, but then until I see it, sometimes like it's going to change significantly and become something completely different. I've, I've, I'm working on a couple of pieces now that have really um, taken that to in a re very real, real way because um, it started out as like one sketch and then the finished piece looks almost nothing like it. And it's not a bad thing, but it's just, it's, it, there's this evolution process of like developing the idea and developing the image. It's, it's, it's pretty cool to watch, even though I'm the one making it. <laughs> I I definitely get that. Um, watching something mm -hmm. like I, we've talked about, and I'm posting endlessly about the Renaissance costume that I'm making. Yes, it's it's funny to watch something go from this is an idea. It feels like you plucked it from your head, yep. and then you kind of put it down onto paper, or put it down onto fabric pattern, what have you, whatever your medium is. Um, but one of the funniest things to kind of watch is I will get to a point and I'm like, great, I'm ready for this next step. I don't like this. I don't like this. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> and then you go, I want to add a collar. I want to add this. And just all these little things that you start. Where's my stitch ripper? <laughs> where, where is it? <laughs> I So I feel like a madman because I'm changing the design like every couple of stitches. But mm -hmm. then it, it turns out the way that I want it. Because what I had originally things come up that we don't always anticipate. I very much have that same feeling with artwork. Um, it, you don't really know how it's going to go until it goes. <laughs> you don't really know how, you know, you, 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 when you, you'll know it when you see it, you know? And so I think that like employing in your case, fabric, in my case, like digital illustration tools and things like that, you have all of these tools at your disposal to like, coax the image into being mm -hmm. and that's like such a mystic way of saying that maybe but um i think it's really fun because you like you know it's right whenever it's right like that's i, I always kind of thought of like well when do you when do like to myself when do i know when a painting or a piece is finished and it just feels done you know what i mean like there's no like definitive answer to that but like I've done pieces where I like, I put it down to work on it later and I pick it back up and I'm like, Oh, this is finished, you know? And so like, yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting conversation of like knowing when you've hit that mark of satisfaction. And I wish that I could ask like, when are you ever truly satisfied with, with a project? But I think it changes daily. You Very can look much. at something with two different perspectives and have two different answers. Yep. For sure. Um, Kaz gives another perspective saying, or the, that moment where you think it's finally finished and you realize you absolutely hate it and tear it completely apart. Oh yeah. 15 years of building on a rent fair outfit now in pieces, but I'm happy. I, so going back to that story I was saying about uh, in high school, like it felt like it's very, when I get that level of frustrated, it's very satisfying to take a bunch of India ink. And for anybody that might not know what India ink, it's one of the darkest inks you can get like staining wise and so it um it's very satisfying to just like splash that all over something or like 
really carve in some lines with it because it's there and it's, you know, it's permanent. And I think that that like kind of is a good lesson in change too, because like, you know, I had this whole thing planned and then it's not going that way. So learning to adapt with that is really satisfying too. It really is. Um, and I love that you're able to adapt to that. Not many, not many artists are, um, but I think it's a sign of like true versatility is being able to kind of roll with punches and go, mm, okay, well, you know, here's what we're going to do moving forward and keep yep. that creative process going. Um, something that you had mentioned a moment ago was that you sometimes get commissioned for uh, for works. And I am so thrilled to have been there for the unveiling of one of those. Yes. <laughs> um, so one, I'm going to ask, what is it like to get a commission for, for someone to come to you and just say, we want you to create something for us? Um, so this is where I kind of just want to give a disclaimer in that, like, I've been extremely fortunate. Like, I will take credit for my work. I'll take credit for the work that I've put into my work, if that makes any sense. But I have absolutely had relationships with people that have provided me with opportunities that I, that are kind of hard to come by, I think. And you can call that fortuitous. You can call that, you know, blessings. You can call that, there's a number of different ways of framing that I think, but, um, I am extremely grateful to um, a, a handful of people that have really seen something in me and given me the opportunities to share my artwork and um, just stories and things like that. Um, and one of the opportunities that came around was actually with the Charlotte Museum of History. Um, they her, I believe they heard about my work through the Native American Study Center. I was an artist in residence there in August of 2021. Um, the Native American Study Center is part of the University of South Carolina at, at Lancaster in South Carolina. And um, they had a series of artists that were traditional because um, I am Catawba and I grew up on the Catawba Reservation. Um, and up until me, all of the artists in residence had been traditional artists. So our work um, is pottery. We have a very specific pottery style and practice that has um, been consistent for about 6,000 years. Um, and it's the only pottery like it in the world. Um, and so everyone before me had really done pottery or basketry, or I think there was another one that was storytelling too in with it. Um, but I was actually the first contemporary artist in residence. And um, it was kind of fun because uh, we did it over Zoom a lot of times. There was there was actually a, a physical painted component to the whole thing, but we can talk more about that in a minute if you want. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, as COVID was raging, I was able to do like this artist in residence remotely. And that was, that was really fun. Um, but the Charlotte Museum of History approached me because, um, and that's in Charlotte, North Carolina, they have a series of paintings that they commissioned uh, in the community called um, the Path of Portraits. And um, each one of the portraits there with the exception of one or two, I'm not sure which, are of people, like the entire point of the series is to depict people that we have no idea what they looked like. 
and so we have limited records or um, or you know methods of seeing what this person might have you know looked like, and so um, the person that I was commissioned to um, paint or illustrate was Sally New River. Um, her or her Katawa name was Sally, um, and she was the granddaughter of a prominent chief of ours named Nokehi, um, who has been memorialized in a lot of our pottery work. But, you know, she inherited this mantle of leadership, which was not uh, common for her position. Um, we had women leaders within the tribe and things like that, but we did not often have them in this particular capacity that she ended up, you know, leading us in. Um, and so uh, they asked that I create a piece based on Sally New River. And um, it, I think it turned out pretty cool. But Trey came to the to the unveiling. <laughs> I'm really glad that he did. Thank you so much. Um, but it, it was a really neat uh, adventure to explore that piece. So... Okay. Let me just say that I love, while I love a good disclaimer, also, sir, take credit. Like that is an amazing accomplishment. Thank you. Well, and I, and I do take credit for that. I don't, I don't want to min minimize the work that I've done by any means, but um, both the way that I was raised and also just like the community that I surround myself with, um, there are very few things that we do alone. And I think that uh, it's worth noting the opportunities and support that we receive from the people around us. Um, and that's, that's, that was really my intention with that disclaimer, because I could not be here without, you know, shout out Brittany Taylor Driggers. She is the director of galleries at the University of uh, South Carolina, Lancaster. And she has been a wonderful mentor to me, you know, so um, people like her and many, many others that have afforded me the opportunity to do the work that I do. That's one thing. We were talking about this in the green room right before the show started. Um, but that is one thing that I love about your perspective is that it's always this very world-centric sort of view and very community-focused perspective. <laughs> many, many different things. And then to see it with a statement of support that in some cases qualifies. And that's what it comes to really the So I'm I'm sorry, Trey, you, you sound really muffled, but I'm not sure if it's me. Okay. Oh, you're better now. <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry. Not to be self-serving, but can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> I would be happy to. Um <laughs> Let me just double check uh, my mic really quick. Emily, yeah. if you will please edit this part out. Yay, edits. <laughs> okay, does that sound better? Yes. Okay. Uh, sorry, folks. Um, the, the, I'll say it directly into the mic, just to make sure. Um, the one thing that I've really come to appreciate about you as a person is that you are so world-centric of many different things. It's always about community whenever you speak. You take so many different influences of this thought or this thought or this thought and combine it in a way and then speak forth with that thought that encompasses all of that. And so that I really respect that about you, not only as a person, but also as an artist. 
Um, hearing your speech um, at that gallery opening uh, or at the unveiling that you just mentioned, that was a very well-given speech, but also a very thoughtful speech. So that's just my, like, I'm trying to, like, boost your ego here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it, that, you know, community has been really important to me, not only as, you know, a member of the LGBT community, but also, like, as a Native American. Our, mm -hmm. Something that I've learned is that our perception of what community looks like is pretty different from, um, you know, the your society within the United States. And I think that that's not to you know, again, dismiss community that is within the United States outside of, um, you know, indigenous tribes or anything. Mm -hmm. But we, our sense of family and our sense of like um, community and purpose within that can sometimes be a little bit more um, community reliant, I think. You know, that that's like historical and like not generational, I should say. Um, because like my ancestors even recently had to depend on each other for survival. Um, and that very much impacts how I think about all of these things. Um, and I'm really grateful for that too. And honestly, I'm honored to be here. I'm honored that you were there. I'm honored, um, to have been, participated in the path of portrait series. Um, and that's actually another one of like my personal core values is gratitude, um, so I think that it's important to, I think that like those things together or it becomes really important to acknowledge that, like I said, we can't do very many things alone and, um, it's really neat to, I, it makes me feel good to acknowledge the roles that other people play like this one, you know, having me here. So thank you. You're welcome. Well, thank you. Um, the the one thing that I would kind of like to talk about, especially in your your portraits or whatever kind of paintings that you do, your artist signature is very unique, at least from what I've seen. Can you tell us a little bit of the a little bit more about your particular signature? Sure. Um, are you talking about Tanaka Alex? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, I I do also want to acknowledge Sandra. Thank you for looking it up in Queen City Nerve. That was like the coolest thing for it to be on the cover and everything. So shout out to Queen City Nerd for being awesome too. So that, that was a really neat experience. Um, my handle or signature is Tanaka Alex. And it's actually um, <laughs> kind of an inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is a movie from the 80s. I don't remember the exact year or anything, but... Um, there, it's called Smoke Signals, and uh, it is. If you ever want to understand native humor, that is the movie to watch. <laughs> um, because uh, you know now we have Reservation Dogs, which is another really good example of like some native humor. But there's there's some there's some undertones of like gravity with <laughs> with Reservation Dogs. Um, I also think another one is uh, what was it? There's one about a casino and the name is ex escaping me right now. But um, so in the 80s, there were smoke signals. And one of the jokes is, hey, Victor, sorry about your dad. Um, and it's really kind of a dark joke because uh, Victor's dad was an alcoholic and ended up running, like leaving his community, kind of running away from his problems. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it 
it's become like a common recognizable thing within native communities to say, Hey, Victor, you know, like, like that's, that's the recognition and Tanake and Kataba means, Hey, so Tanaka Alex is kind of an homage to like native American pop culture, but also like just saying, Hey, Alex. And I thought that that was kind of catchy. So I stuck with it. <laughs> I love that. Um, the, the signature that I was thinking of uh, was also on your painting. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a, something that you kind of integrated into the painting itself. I thank you for bringing that up because I don't, I don't know that anybody has ever brought that up in an interview before. Um, I always try to integrate my signature into the painting um, because I want the emphasis, the signatures to mark, in my opinion, that I made the piece. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, worth saying or doing rather. But um, I have always wanted the emphasis to be on the work itself, not on the signature. Um, if you look at like paint, you know, lots of paintings, there's, <laughs> there are some artists like, especially I'm really talking about like historically who have very large signatures at the bottom corner. And I've always thought that that was a little bit pretentious. Um, and, you know, and I think that I probably did that some middle school of like, you know, sign the bottom right corner. And, um, you know, I put watermarks on my photos from time to time. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that per se, but I, I've always thought it was neat to like find something within the piece, but also like for it to not be obtrusive into the work itself. And so mm -hmm. as a digital artist, it's very easy to zoom in and you can kind of make it blend in a little bit, but then it's also, also visible as my mark. So I thank you for picking that out. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so within that, there's also, and I don't know if I'm like calling it the right thing because I'm referring to more as a signature because I remember that as part of your speech. But then there's also that kind of symbol that you, that mm -hmm. slightly changes between that. Is that the signature or is that, um, can you talk to us a little bit about what that, that symbol is? Sure. So when I was doing my artist in residence at the Native American Studies Center, I started doing something that I've, I've just kind of called seals and part of me would like to come up with a better name for them, but that's like all I've been able to think of. Um, but there are circular marks that uh, tell a story within a story and um, they might be recognizable as a story within the story. You know, it might be like a summary of what's being displayed in the piece, um, but it also might just be a representation of what I'm seeing within the piece too. So to the viewer, it might be nonsense, but to me, it could be telling a story. And I've actually had both where it's telling a story and then other ones where it's just kind of like a vague resemblance of something. But um, I've, I've enjoyed doing that because it's just like a mark that is kind of identifiable as mine. Um, so it's not really intended as a signature per se, but um, it's just kind of something that I started doing and we'll probably keep doing because it's, it's unique and um, it's kind of fun to like doodle, you know, once, once you have started the piece. So. Well, I love it because it's, it's for me that has almost become your signature. Mm -hmm. um, 
because it's something that I I don't see anyone else doing, and it's so quintessentially like yours that anytime I see it, I go, mm -mm, yeah, that's Alex. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's um, I I've I've started doing it in all of my like bigger pieces too. So like, I think that part of me hopes that like years down the road, people will see it and be like, that's an Alex piece. So thank you. <laughs> I one day in 50 years would own a, an original Alex you know. Osborne. <laughs> hair flip. <laughs> Hashtag hair flip. <laughs> I'll have to find a wig. <laughs> uh, I think you can pull one from Alex. Uh, I'm Probably. Sure <laughs> Probably. How many does he have? Like, uh, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> but um, it oh, it is really fun to see how many wigs he has, though. And I love like just looking at them. <laughs> For reference, uh, if you don't mind me taking just a brief moment to plug him, uh, we're talking about uh, Alex's boyfriend, Alex, who uh, also streams um, on Twitch. Uh, you can find him at Peanut Pie uh, on pretty much most social media. Uh, and sometimes on Thursday or on Sunday nights, he will uh, have random, like, you pull a wig or choose a number from a wig, and he'll wear that for a couple of minutes. It's it's hilarious, and he's an absolute goofball, and I love him very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were talking about earlier in the green room, right before the show started. Um, admittedly, this is where I wish that I could be a better friend, um, because before I moved to Charlotte, and before I, honestly before I met you, I really didn't know that Catawba culture was still up and thriving today much less that there was a Catawba nation within driving distance, like reasonable driving distance of me. Um, so this question is for me, but also for those at large that may want to learn a little bit more um, or get in touch with that. What are some ways that people can be become more educated about the Catawba nation? So we have a cultural center um, and it is on the reservation itself. Um, it's about 15 to 20 minutes outside of Rock Hill in South mm -hmm. Carolina. Um, and that's probably one of, I mean, we are the authority to tell our own stories. So, um, I think that asking those questions in a very respectful way is a really good start. Um, looking at the materials that the cultural center has online, you can visit them online by going to catabaculture.org. Um, it's C-A-T-A-W-B-A, -A um, Catawba. <laughs> um, and so that, that's a good start. Another one is, you know, if you are close or visiting the area around Charlotte, then, you know, you can come and visit the cultural center itself. That's a neat experience. Um, I think uh, that's probably a good place to start. Um, and then just, like, kind of being aware. One of my favorite like sites recently has been native-land.ca because it actually maps um, the lands for indigenous peoples throughout the North and I think it's North and South America. I know that it's North America, um, but it kind of shows you where the ancestral lands of different indigenous peoples are. Um, and that I think just like being aware in that sense is like a good first step. Um, because like you said, you know, I, I have known so many people that are like, oh, you grew up on the reservation? 
well, and then I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, you know, well, you know, where is that? And, you know, when they learn that, you know, about where I grew up and how close it is to them, it's just, it's, uh, I've seen a whole lot of different reactions, you know, like in terms of like, what is it like there? People have, you know, a perception of what it looks like. You know, a lot of times people imagine teepees and my people didn't even live in teepees. <laughs> so, um, it, it, you know, teepees are, are Plains Indians and, and tribes in, in, you know, the Midwest United States. Mm -hmm. Um, my people actually lived in bark huts called wigwams. Um, but like now we live in houses, we live in the community. And that actually comes back around to my artwork too, because part of why I went in a contemporary direction is because I wanted to show that the artwork and experiences that we have and make mm -hmm. today are relevant for today and not just like in a history book. I love pottery. My great grandmother was a potter. My great, great grandmother was a potter. Like I come from, you know, generations of people who make our traditional art, but um, it also wasn't always viewed as art. Um, mm -hmm. But I, you know, that is part of their experience. And while I want to educate people through my work about their experiences, um, I think that it's really important that, you know, someone of my generation helps our generation and like, our community understand that we like we are still here and that that's kind of like when you see t people wearing t-shirts about we are still here whether it be for pride or for um you know native american heritage or any any sort of ethnic heritage i think that that's a very literal message about that i i agree it's Again, it's sometimes my own ignorance for um, I'm very ignorant about some things, I will admit, but having that humility of which to say, like, that's my ignorance, let me learn more about it, I think kind of opens the door for that. And what it seems like is your artwork is helping to bridge some of that gap. And it's helped me go, oh, wow. Um, wow. Okay, let me learn more about this. And it incites these conversations about things. So being, being a conduit of a conversation for these kinds of things is really a very interesting place to be. It's my, you're right. And it's always fascinating what people say, because I've heard people say really uh, things they should have thought about more. <laughs> Before it came out of their mouth. Yes. Yes. But also like, I've heard a lot of like epiphanies and realizations and things. And so that's, I'm really grateful for that. I always want my work to tell a story, whether it be design or um, illustration or photography or something like that. I think that we all have stories to tell. And I think that, you know, the validity of our stories is not diminished by the, exceptionality or validity of someone else's, you know? And so I think that's also really important to remember and consider. Mm -hmm. um, I also just want to say, I think acknowledging our ignorance is not a bad thing, you know? And I think I commend you for phrasing it that way because that's not easy, but also as my friend, you've done an excellent job of educating yourself on those things, especially coming from a place where you didn't know before. So thank you for doing that. And, um, that is an example that I think provide that is provided to 
um, the people around us that I think mm-hmm. is really important too. And we need more of that. One thing that that kind of spurs me, and this is going to be a little bit of a longer rant, uh, but I was thinking about this all day, not rant, but longer thought process. So bear with me. Um, Emily, my co-host, um, a couple of months back had posted something where a person of a like Indian culture, uh, and I do mean of Asia, India culture, was putting together this particular garment with hand-stitched process, hand-stitched beading, all of this uh, hand-dyed fabric. And it was um, like this very, very well done, very artistic sort of thing. But the post about it was talking about how this kind of art was diminishing quite a bit, um, at least being promoted in that culture in favor of more contemporary garments or contemporary sort of artistic things. Um, One thing that what we've kind of hinted at is that some of those things are starting to get um, not noticed or ignored. So what are some ways that we as non-Catawba people, non-Native American people, um, those who have not grown up on the reserves, how can we help promote and preserve the artistic culture of these different particular nations? Um, great question. Um, I think the education piece that we were just talking about is really vital. Um, I think just knowing and being able to share respectfully that either A, you have questions or B, you know, there are other cultures around you is like the first step in including the narratives and conversations that we need to be having. Um, I, (laughs) I, there's a joke at one of the directors at the Native American Studies Center has said for a very long time that, um, you know, we have had anthropologists and many, many, many people, professors, people of academia coming through and saying, pottery is a dying art, we have to preserve it. And they're gone. And we are still here. And so like, that is not meant to be shady or to poke fun at your question by any means. But mm-hmm. um, I think that like the, the preservation of our cultures has to be A, through respect, and B, through, again, education. You know, we have to know about it in order to preserve it. I can't speak for all of my people, but I mm-hmm. love having the support of, you know, people outside of our community to preserve our culture, whether that be, you know, you uh, commission an artist and that's not meant to be self-serving, but like, um, (laughs) you know, having, you know, having a conversation with a native artist to, to, to make you, you know, you know, beaded earrings or, um, you know, a pottery piece or something like that, you know, those things are part of what keeps our artwork and our community alive whether it be through the financial you know contributions of this person can continue to make those things or mm-hmm. it could be you know this is a piece of artwork that has been obtained is going to and is going to be preserved and cherished you know so i think that there's a lot of ways that we can do that but um education through conversation like what we're doing right now i think has a really big impact okay um, well, one thing that I hope that you continue to do is that 
is help to educate me, um, whether it be with a festival that's coming up or if there's anything going on in Charlotte, like, will you continue to share that with me? Always. Yeah. And actually there's one coming up in November. It was actually just announced. Um, so if you go to, um, Kitaba Nation mm -hmm. on Facebook, which for some reason we're still on Facebook. I don't, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> there is, <laughs> they just posted an event, I think either today or yesterday. It is called Yapi Iswa. And it's one of my favorites because it was from when I was a little kid. Um, so, so, uh, Kaz, Kaz, um, that is spelled C-A-T-A-W-B-A, Kataba. And the festival itself is called Yap, which is Y-A-P, Yi, which is Y-E, Iswa, mm -hmm. which is I-S-W-A. Um, and that translates to Day of the People of the River. Um, our fun fact about languages, because Trey knows I'm a language nerd. <laughs> yes. Um, I, so... Kataba is actually a name that was given to us, um, and I'm not exactly sure who gave it to us, um, but our name for ourselves was Yeiswari, which is people of the river. Um, and the Kataba River was actually named after us. So, um, you know, there's a chicken or egg situation there a little bit, but I think it's really cool that the river was named after us. Um, so Yapi Iswa is one of my favorite festivals, and it's just a cultural celebration. Um, and there's a lot more to, to it that even I don't know, I'm sure. Um, but there's dancing and there's food and there's like, you know, an artist market and everything. And it's actually held at the Kataba Cultural Center. So um, check it out on Facebook. They will, I'm sure, announce details and updates, but it's open and welcome to the community. Um, and uh, it's like one of my favorite things because I would always get roasted corn and uh, we, <laughs> we call them Indian or Navajo tacos. They've, it's, uh, I'll explain what that is in a minute, but it's one of my favorite like <laughs> native dishes. Um, so Kaz, and I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong. <laughs> um, a powwow is different. Um, a powwow is a meeting of nations um, so it was specifically to negotiate and trade and things like that. Um, so this would not be a powwow. It's similar to a powwow or what people think of as a powwow because modern day powwows have become about, you know, markets and food and dancing and all of that. But um, this one is specific to Kataba practices. Um, there are things like you'll still be able to see like, um, you know, uh, dances that have been borrowed or inherited from other tribes and i normally that's not something that we would like discuss within certain contexts but powwows really brought about um the sharing of dances and different um like art styles and things like that so there are some that have become a lot more prevalent from tribe to tribe um and so you'll see things that are specifically only kataba but you'll also see some things that have you know come from other tribes too um, and it's different from a powwow still because the people that will be representing those things will only be Kataba. Um, whereas at a powwow, you would see different drumming groups and dancers and everything from a variety of different tribes, you know, and like competitions and things like that. So um, Navajo or Indian tacos, um, they were 
Um, so when rations, from what I understand, when rations were being passed out to different reservations, um, the Navajo actually developed something called fry bread. And the Navajo, the Navajo's name for themselves is Diné. So that's, um, and I'm sorry if I'm, if there's anybody that is Diné in the, in the audience, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing. Um, but uh, they developed something called fry bread. And that's actually another reference to smoke signals from earlier um, because there's a shirt called that says fry bread power because it's just absolutely <laughs> the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> if I were to explain it, it's kind of like if a funnel cake wasn't sweet. Um, and so you can put anything on it. You can put powdered sugar and make it sweet or honey and jam and things like that. Or you can put chili and taco toppings on it and make like a taco Oh. And it's like the best thing ever. <laughs> the okay. best fry bread I have ever had was actually made by a Mohawk woman. Um, and she is absolutely phenomenal with it. I don't, she uses a family recipe and it's like thick and fluffy and just grease everywhere. But it's like the best thing that you will ever put in your mouth. So, <laughs> okay, I'm hungry. <laughs> Sorry about it. But there will likely be there will likely be fried bread at the festival um, because that has that that went from you know uh, the Navajo and through powwows and different festivals and different you know exchanges and everything that spread to other nations and so like almost every tribe in the United States and possibly Canada I'm not sure um, makes some form of fried bread one way or another and there's like you know. Like you said, Kaz, the aunties <laughs> really uh, will debate the recipes and things like that. Um, but absolutely, absolutely. Oh, my gosh, Emily. I cannot believe this incredible chocolate we've been tasting. Oh. We had to bring Eric and Jalisa from Storyboard Delights back to discuss. Absolutely, we did. What is it about your chocolate that makes it so magical? Ooh, it's magical because we infuse so much fun in our chocolate. It's not something serious, but it is a serious experience. We make sculpted chocolate bars that have stories to tell, like, for instance, our Red Riding Hood bar. Oh, the Red Riding Hood bar is super fun. First, we start with the digital painting on the front, and it tells the first part of the story of Red Riding Hood walking into the woods. And then when you unwrap it, you have this sculpted bar of Big Bad Wolf sitting in Granny's bed. And then you taste it, and the flavor profile wraps up the rest of the story. And so you first, when you bite into it, you taste the earthiness of the chocolate, which is the hunting grounds of the Big Bad Wolf. And then you've got the Pasilla chili pepper, which provides sort of the prowl. It's kind of spicy, not quite, but then the guajillo bites you at the end, just like the Big Bad Wolf. You can find us at www.storyboarddelights.com Pick out whichever chocolate you want, whichever story you want, and we will ship it right to your door. Fantastic. I'm going to storyboarddelights.com right now. Um... The reason I wanted to kind of poke your uh, poke your brain about that is one, you talk about being part of a community and being being very community focused, but you're also an assistant curator at the Native American Studies uh, Center down in Lancaster. 
uh, South Carolina. So um, you have done a couple of things. And so I felt like you'd be uh, a nice educator for many of those topics. So thank Thanks. you for indulging us. Yeah, I, I love to tell stories. And I think that that's been something I've learned through my work there. Um, I do a lot of support behind the scenes from like a design perspective and kind of an input perspective. But um, working with the other assistant curator, her name is Sharon, and, um, and Brittany, the director of galleries and collections, has been really uh, educational and eye-opening in terms of like how we talk about these things. And I, I'm really grateful for that. Good. Now, you talked about it earlier in the podcast. Now I want to switch gears to something very fun. I want to talk about your uh, your love of uh, photography. <laughs> okay. All day, every day. Yes. <laughs> um, so... One thing I, I really want to know, when you go to take photos, um, mm -hmm. what are some of your biggest sources of inspiration? Um, I think it's similar to, um, it's similar to how I approach like an illustration or a painting. Mm -hmm. I usually like to have a reason and whether that be a reason that has inspired me or something or it be an event or some kind of function. I, I really like to experiment with it and see just what happens. I actually learned on film, which can be surprising to some. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that really informs the way that I, um, the way that I, I approach photography and how I approach like storytelling through pictures. I also think that like, there's something to be said for, um, or like documenting things with photography. I think that like that is uh, something that is like kind of an inherent part of the art form, whether you're doing more contemporary or modern photography, or if you're doing, you know, really archival work, um, there's kind of a blend between all of that as an inherent nature of the work, I think. I'm so rambly. <laughs> no, you're not rambly. You're again, it's that that world perspective of things. I was expecting one answer, and then you gave me like this very well thought out response <laughs> to something. Like, man, it makes me want to go back and like rethink my own responses. <laughs> I, I feel like that's a good thing. Uh it is. Um it's just uh it you have a talent that I wish that to wish to emulate. Thank you. Um, the other thing that, as an like as an artist, I'm sure that you have given uh, been given so much feedback about your art. So one thing I'm kind of curious about is how do you deal with feedback, and how do you decide what to listen to and when to tell somebody politely to go take a long walk off a short cliff. <laughs> I have a, a really funny story about this one. Um, but I will say that it has been a learning experience to learn how to take criticism. Um, my favorite thing that I learned from art class in high school um, was about compliment sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And I just, I always think that like feedback can be given in a constructive way or in a non-constructive way. And I feel like that's really the difference, you know, like, I'm sure feedback can be given in like frustrating ways, but it also can be given kindly 
and kind does not always mean nice. <laughs> and I think that that's like a really difficult thing to process, both like for me, but also like for anyone who's learning to take criticism within their work. Um, I had, um, you know, I had a heart stopping moment <laughs> um, a while back because I was working on a piece and in one of the interviews uh, about the piece, I had said something about a particular symbol um, and I was approached by a very knowledgeable and uh, respected professor <laughs> on, you know, about this, this symbol. And it turns out that I was wrong. And in that moment though, she was an elder from my tribe and she would probably hate for me to refer to her that way. So I'm not going to say her name, <laughs> but, um, but, but she had the expertise that I did not. So that was, that was a moment where I had to, I had to be the one to take a long walk off a short cliff, sort of, um, you know, it, it, proverbially anyway, of saying, you know, I was wrong. Let me see if I can get that corrected. Or, you know, let me, you know, and that's informed how I talk about that particular symbol ever since then. Um, but I'm also really grateful that she approached me the way that she did to give that feedback. Um, the story that I was going to tell is that... Um, I worked for our tribal government for about three years, uh, collectively much longer than that, but in a creative role, I worked for them for about three years. And um, they uh, tasked me with designing t-shirts. So I was able to rebrand our cultural center, which was really fun and really cool. And honestly, it's one of my favorite um, brands that I've ever helped develop. Um, and I, did I think three or four t-shirts based off of the branding that we developed. So there are different symbols and colorways that are culturally significant. And, you know, there was research that went into these things and we held a live stream where <laughs> um, we started, you know, we, we talked about like the offering of, Hey, we have t-shirts, you can order them and they'll just be shipped to your house and like all of this. And one of the first comments um, was, from someone who's no longer with us, bless her soul. Um, but they said, that doesn't look very Kataba to me. And that, like, in terms of accepting feedback and criticism and taking it or not, I think that that all boils down to perspective because I cackled for days about, like, you know, all of the work that went into these designs. And then someone within my own community said, you know, that doesn't look very Kitaba. That I think that her perspective on that was really, um, was valid, you know, in the sense that like, that is not, that was not her interpretation of what Kitaba looks like. Um, however, it, her acknowledgement or lack of acknowledgement for the, the Kitaba-ness of these designs didn't invalidate that I put in the work and the research to do them. So hmm. art in perspective is a really interesting and fickle thing sometimes because, um, you know, I can say that I don't like that piece. That doesn't make it any more or any less important. Hmm. And so that's kind of become, you know, in my personal work, that's kind of been become the approach that I've started to take with some of the pieces. People can like them or not. <laughs> I'm sure that there's plenty of both, but um, you know the the opinions that I listen to 
are the ones that are going to back it up with this is why or um and that that why could be like i just don't like it <laughs> you, you, you know like but you know objectively when people actually think about the message and the storytelling or mm -hmm. have a good reason which thinking back this woman did because her experience as a Kitabo person um wasn't represented in the work that she saw so while I certainly would have liked for her to have delivered it a little bit differently, <laughs> um, it was it was very much a lesson in taking feedback one way or another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what a thing to say. Um, because it all it speaks to what you were talking about before, kind of your your interpretation of work is looking at something and bringing a contemporary focus on something. And I, I almost kind of wonder what was missing from that, that would almost for her to say that. Um, I think just like within any community, there is. <laughs> Kaz mentioned aunties earlier, Yeah, you know, and uh, one auntie's recipe is not good as good as the other, and the only real difference is like half of an ingredient, right? And so I think that like there's discussion around like, well, this is my interpretation of that. This is that person's interpretation of that, and this person will argue until they're blue in the face that that is not the real way to do it. But if anybody else were to say something, I'm sure they would all be fighting on the same side. <laughs> you know you know uh -huh. so like it, it, it's very it's very much an example of that too i think of just like maybe with more discussion they might would have seen the background to it a little bit more or something but um i don't know and i think that's where where i find myself really enjoying your work is because it, in, it invokes that conversation like i mentioned before um and I wish that more people, regardless of the artistic culture or whatever the medium happens to be, I wish more people would talk about art, art Me too. and just say, here's what I like about it from that objective perspective and, and start to verbalize some of that. If you're not able to verbalize something, I'm going to make a controversial statement. Please don't come for me in the comments. Um, but my personal perspective is if you cannot verbalize something, you haven't thought about it enough. And until you can verbalize why, give pause for thought and then be able to give your perspective. I, I was thinking about this the other day. I think that, you know, that critique process in art gives us a foundation to have more difficult and complex conversations. Um, because like you said, if you're able to process and think about how you would talk about a kindergartner's draw drawing mm -hmm. or a high school student's art submission, that can be really parallel to the way that we need to talk with each other about other issues. You know, like we don't necessarily need to agree on something, but this is why and this is how that's it's not it it becomes not just a one-sided conversation and more of sharing an experience and then understanding why someone thinks the way that they do 
And I think that that's really fundamental and honestly lacking a lot in society now. Um, and so I really appreciate what you said about like pausing and thinking and reflecting because we have to do that in artwork. And in a way, by making artwork, that's one of the things that I'm doing because I want to inspire those conversations and tell a story from that perspective. Um, but I think that like creators and people within our communities need to have that element so that way we can like work to make things a little bit better i hope i agree one thing uh, that i'm always thinking because you're always taking photographs of something whether you see you said that you before that you need an inspiration for something but i rarely ever see you without your camera just like <laughs> fyi <laughs> So, like, I'm going to call you on that just a little bit. Um, so one thing I will say is, what do you like to take photographs of the most? And mm -hmm. um, what has been, like, your favorite photo shoot that you've done? <laughs> Great questions. I'm going to uh, check you on your calling out because my phone doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your Nikon. I'm sorry. The physical handheld camera, sir. I see that in so many pictures that Alex posts. So do not start. Do not start with me. My phone doesn't count. No, I'm just kidding. I um, I, I love that I said that, and I literally bought my phone for the camera. So I guess that didn't that didn't really work in my favor too often too much. Um, I uh. I, I will say, though, in that I think inspiration can come from anywhere. Um, you know, I'm inspired by my friends all the time. I, um, I am inspired by other artwork that I see. You know, I, you gave me the coolest compliment earlier <laughs> about, like, drawing influence and perspectives from a lot of different places because... I think that that like is part of appreciating the world around us a lot. I love that I'm talking with my hands like a good queer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I just think it's my, when I'm using my phone to take photos, it can be, and I'm not trying to justify this by any means, but I think that like any of us, it's used like the best camera that you have, as they say, is the one in your hand. And you know, phones can be really great cameras now, or they can be really terrible, depending on how you use it. <laughs> um, yes. But it's just, it, I, 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 I really want to drive home the point that, like, we can be inspired by anything. We can mm -hmm. be inspired by an interaction that we see between other people. We can be inspired by um, a mural that we pass by that we weren't expecting. That's, like, one of the coolest things, in my opinion. Like, when you look back and see a giant mural like that's so fun and inspiring and so then i have a camera to take a picture of it um favorite photo shoot i don't mean to sigh so like depressing sounding but i i just i love i love all of them to be honest um some of them probably were more work than others i guess um for a little while, I was working with a model named Janelle, and she was really great to work with. Um, I just love taking pictures of people. Um, I, you know, I'll take pictures of, like I said, anything that inspires me, or you know, a landscape or feature, or, you know, whatever. But I love capturing the 
the like memories and like essence of people as cliche as that sounds Mm -hmm. because i think that it's really neat to see what a person is actually like if they're talking or laughing or telling a story i think that that's kind of one way that we can remember that by and people aren't around forever but uh photos and pictures can be around for a very long time and that's kind of something that i want to contribute to kind of got deep there (laughs) see back to the world perspective but it's the thing that you said you love to catch people when they're talking laughing singing doing something it's not all about the instagram like pose pose blue steel pose it's being natural and capturing people like who they are yes and that's actually always a goal with my photos is that like I usually do very minimal retouching. You know, I like to make people look their best. Um, but I still, the, the, the key is that I still always want people to look like themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people always joke about like, oh, well, can you shave off like 30 pounds? And I'm like, well, technically, but like, that's not going to look like you until you lose those 30 pounds or, you know, or, you know, you know, change that one thing about yourself that may or may not need to be changed, you know, based on your life experience or whatever. But I like to see people for who they are authentically. Hmm. And I, I, when I'm doing portraits, which are my favorite, I always want that to show. That We have a joke here on the podcast that we're trying to round up as many artists as we can. Uh, we're going to take over a castle uh, that's here in the United States, actually. Um, we've got a whole army at this point. Uh, Kaz in our uh, comment section and in our chat uh, makes horse armor. So we're going to have hor- horses, armor. Uh, we have some folks from Black Friday who will be there to join us. We have someone who makes fairy wings. Um, so cool. So this is your official invitation to join us whenever we have that takeover. That sounds amazing. Keep me updated, please. (laughs) All right, Kaz, we got our wish. We got another person. (laughs) I don't know that I can contribute to the fantasy vibe because um, based on what I've talked about here, all of my fantasy stuff is probably like rooted in like cliche native lore. (laughs) But um, I, I can take pictures. (laughs) and i'm decent at it (laughs) hey that is fine that as long as you're being supportive that's that's all we ask for yeah absolutely um well a few more questions here um one thing i would love to ask you so say i am someone who is just getting started in digital art or photography or art in general Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to somebody that's just starting out? Do whatever you want. And that's, uh, I think I was asked a similar question when I was doing my artist in residence. And that was like the answer that always stuck with me. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think that there are so many rules to art and like, you know, people have, a lack of perspective on a lot of things. And I think also people, um, you know, have this like box that they want to put us all in, you know, and mm-hmm. unless it fits into 
that box and they don't want anything to do with it or it's not real enough or it's not you know whatever and i think that like we can really work against that by just doing whatever we want do what feels right you know like draw what you think you need to draw draw what inspires you take photos how you want to take them and i feel like that is inherently essential to the individualism of our artwork you know and like contributing the stories that we need and want to share because like i'm the only person that can share my stories you know mm -hmm. like the way that i share them and i think that any artist that is starting out needs to hopefully remember that too and that can be that can be a learning process <laughs> you know like a very steep learning process but like that's the goal is to figure out who you are and how to share it and i feel like that's what i would tell to anybody starting out um that is a phenomenal answer i'm gonna follow that up with now it's not someone who's just started out it's now you at you at 15 15 uh don't mm. worry so much <laughs> <laughs> uh i was figuring some things out about myself as we all do in the lgbt community mm -hmm. um and i was paralyzed and petrified at being perfect and um i still work against that sometimes but I think I work against that a lot less. And I think I I don't regret it, but I wonder what type of person I would be today if I were to travel back in time and just to say not to sweat it. Hmm. Hmm. I think I'd be absolutely feral if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Ooh. I'm pretty feral now, <laughs> but you know, just like if I started earlier, then that could either be a good thing or a really bad thing. I don't know. But I, I think that's still the advice that I would give, though, because that, that petrifying feeling of perfectionism is really that's uh, it kills you, like actually. And it, I, I think that we need less of that. It really does. The the touch on the like the perfection aspect of things, like number one, I'm in this picture and I don't like that. Um, <laughs> the, but it, it speaks to so much of just the anxiety and wanting to be perfect, and that doesn't mm -hmm. exist. Yeah. Um, whatever you it's think is normal, it is unattainable. Um, so, I think honestly that you would still be the same. But hearing from from all the work that you've done, how successful you are now, and how enriched and enriching you are making both my life and those around you, I think would give give yourself a lot of calm feelings. And I think you'd still turn out very much the same, but I think you would get there faster because you know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I just wonder if my work would be like a lot more psychedelic. Like okay. I probably would have tried a lot more drugs and I like, I, I, I really haven't. And I like, I don't intend to personally, that's just not for me. But like, no. if I didn't have the, the, the hindrance of perfection and fear of that, then like, 
I don't know what I would have done, <laughs> you know? So, you know, you bring up an interesting thought and I had not quite considered that. <laughs> I will have to think on that. <laughs> um, my last question here, um, or my last two questions. One, um, what, where is your creativity taking you now? Do you have anything upcoming that you would like to share with us? Um, so I don't really have anything specific. Well, there's two things maybe. So one of them, um, there may be a gallery in development at the, uh, arts council in mm -hmm. Rock Hill. Um, mm -hmm. the city of Rock Hill and our tribe has kind of a assorted past, and so, like, it's pretty notable that there's going to be a display or an exhibition. I don't know how much of it is public, mm -hmm. um, but there's going to be an exhibition featuring Catawba artwork that may or may not include mine. I hope it does, but we will see. Um, but my uh, my some of my artwork is currently on display at the Columbia Museum of Art in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, it is a gallery or an exhibit called Resurgence and Renaissance. And it, excuse me. Resurgence and Renaissance, Art of the Catawba Nation since 1973. Um, in 1973, to our knowledge, that was one of the first like art exhibits that it displayed Catawba pottery as artwork mm -hmm. rather than as like something you would see in a natural history museum. So it was it was kind of a notable development in the evolution of our work from like functional to form. Mm -hmm. um, and that has really impacted both pottery itself and also like the ability to that I can be here and create work that I do. So um, those are really the two that I would call out. The Columbia Museum of Art has done a phenomenal job of in including Catawba voices in sharing these stories and these pieces. So it's very um, disclaimer. I love art museums and I also acknowledge that they can be extremely problematic in terms of like you know colonization and uh, appropriation and uh you know taking things that they shouldn't uh <coughs> england um but i uh they've done a really amazing job at like including us like giving us a platform to tell our own stories which is very notable and mm -hmm. also like extra notable for an art museum and i think that that deserves to be like commended. So um, it's been an honor to be a part of that, but uh, that's really the biggest thing that I have going on currently. And uh, we'll, we'll see. I do have um, a quick story for Kaz, maybe. Um, they mentioned the history and fantasy of the indigenous side. Mm -hmm. um, and if you would like to hear two Catawba stories, you may want to, one of them I won't share, the other one I will tell you about. Um, one of them is called Ugani the Comet. Um, and I may be able to pass some resources through Trey because it would just be a very long story to share right now. But essentially the digested version, version is Ugani was a witch who uh, was trying to kidnap a boy. And in the process, she fell from the heavens and became a comet. And so um, one of the pieces that I'm working on right now uh features her as an element within the the, the painting and 
I don't know that I've ever seen her displayed visually before, so this is just my like interpretation. Um, but the other piece that I would share in terms of like our lore is the Yehasuri, which are the little people of the forest. And every culture seems to have like a version of like a sprite or fairy or something like that. But um, Yehasuri are trickster spirits. And they, I always imagine them kind of like little Lokis. And my elders say that they're not terrifying, but like, to me, they're terrifying. <laughs> um, we had stories where like they, graphic warning, like drained all the blood from someone's arm and like hung somebody from their hair in a tree with like tree sap. So like, not like killed hung, but just like she was stuck in a tree with like, you know, so I sorry to get a little graphic, but they like when they say trickster, they weren't kidding. So like, I just imagine them being these little like sprites that were very mischievous in a very <laughs> dark kind of way. Um, oh but I don't know, that's like just something that kind of lives in my head a little bit in terms of like storytelling goes because um, our elders will say, oh, well, it was the little people and as politically incorrect as that sounds, it's uh, it's just kind of funny whenever that's something that people blame 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 it on of like it was the authority, not you know whatever else. <laughs> uh, the next time that we go out to a local bar or to have dinner or something, just kind of mischievous happens. I'm going to bring this up, Please. and uh, <laughs> my, if you want to see my eyes get really big because I'll forget about it and I won't, I won't expect it, then that's exactly what you should do. Be like, what did you say? <laughs> uh, the last question i have for you tonight uh i want to make sure that our listening audience is able to connect with you on as many platforms as possible uh where can our listeners engage with you the most um honestly i'm not super active on social media in terms of like you know, posting things these days, but I'm trying to do better. Um, in terms of artwork, probably Instagram, uh, which is just at Tanaka Alex. Um, my website is also TanakaAlex.com. So you can find examples. I'm actually working on updating that, like maybe right now, like after we get off of this. <laughs> um, but uh, you can find examples of my work there. Um, the Sally New River portrait is there as part of my portfolio. Um, that is also on display at the Charlotte Museum of History. It's a little gentle plug. Um, thank you, Kaz, for following me on Instagram. Um, but yeah, th there's also links to like my Instagram and everything uh, through through my website there. So yeah, uh, and that is T A N A K E A L E X uh, for both the website and for the Instagram. Um, Alex, I. I am so happy that you agreed to be on the podcast tonight. And I am <laughs> so happy to have the education and just your, again, that world perspective and artistic background for things. Um, also, I would love at some point for you to play the violin for me. I know we were talking <laughs> earlier about um, maybe not as much anymore, but I would love to hear just like a little lick or two that would chef's We kids. might We might can do that. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. Uh, well, as so, we, oh, go ahead. In Kitaba, we say haul, haul, which is thank you, but it's also like just thanks in general for the for for the the opportunity to be here. So haul, haul. 
Uh, well, thank you. Um, and as we wrap up here tonight, um, I just want to let everybody know that this episode, along with probably every other episode, always and forever, is in memory of Joe Capone, our moderator, fellow comedian, passionate encourager, and greatly missed friend. You can find us pretty much wherever you tune into podcasts. For updates, announcements, and more, please follow us on social media under Modern Romantic. Thank you, everybody, and have a have a Catawba day. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Hi, I'm Emily. Hi, and hi, I'm Trey. <laughs> we want to tell you a little story about how we started this podcast. About a decade ago, Trey and I used to work together in a retail clothing store. The store that shall not be named Men's Haberdashery. And we really hit it off, if you couldn't tell. Honestly, those were the days. So many jokes. Like Gary Busey. And the announcements <laughs> on the intercom. This is your captain speaking. And Gonzo! <laughs> we were hilarious. We are shamelessly, intensely self-aware of our own hilarity. Because we thought we were comedians, we figured we should have a podcast. But about what? I mean, since we both had a background in the arts, maybe something about that. Right. We thought because both of us are in fashion, also you were in costuming and photography, and me in singing, corporate espionage, and theater, it totally made sense. Hey, Plus, did I mean, you just say corporate espionage? Look, I signed an NDA. Let's move on. Okay. You know, it was like one of those things where you're like... Let's start a garage band, and it's exciting, and then you realize that you don't really have a garage to practice in. And then years later, like eight years later, we decided to make it happen. We bought a proverbial garage. It's so nice in here. Mm-hmm. Do you want something from the mini fridge? Um, do we have anything chocolate? I got you. Yes! So, because we both love romanticism, we both love art, so it became the Modern Romantic Podcast. And here we are. Do you know what the best part of the story is? Uh, we finally came down to Earth and realized we aren't comedians. No! We get oh. to interview artful heroes and creators while inspiring others. Okay, yes, yes. Plus, we have a wonderful, supportive community. I love connecting people. Plus, we're still delirious. I mean, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Let's never lose that. Never! 